Damn, that was excellent. All right, so uh, just to uh, get this underway here real quick, I have decided ahead of time that the name of this episode is going to be <coughs> APIs and IPAs, therefore we need to be drinking beer. So, bam. Yep, there uh, it is. So uh, I'm going to go get a beer. There it is. Yep. Oh, okay. That's the, that's the entire thing. That's the shtick. That's the shtick, indeed. This that was a good one. Good enough. All right. Mm. Well, cheers. Episode, what are we on here? Nine, this eight. is the, uh, yeah, be number, well, yeah. number so eight. I, we're, <laughs> both, we're both right. Well, I was right twice. The um, title is episode eight. It is our ninth episode, as always. Um, Zero indexing. APIs and IPAs, because like last week... I asked you if IPAs and APIs flowed better or if the inverse flowed better, and that's what we're going with the APIs and IPAs. Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue slightly better. For sure, because we, f- we found out that the I to I is easier than the A to A, and the A's, at least in our inflection, are longer. So IPA, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. API, there's like a little bit more pause, but like API, API IPA, yeah, you yeah. can just kind of <laughs> kick it in there. <laughs> Five, sure. So last week we were studying for finals. That's true. And those are over now. That is true. And that means we've graduated. We did the do. We did the diddly do. We, wow. We are, we are diddly done with diddly debt. Well, that's a lie, but we're diddly done with college at, at a minimum. <laughs> um, so our undergraduate is out of the way. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really think either of us are planning on going to pursue any level of higher education. Just in the immediate future. Well, yeah. Should we be like decade down the road, be like, you know what? Yeah, maybe. You know what? Right. That's a hard maybe, but uh, the immediate future, at least five, five to eight years, I don't think we're looking at doing anything in furthering our higher education. Um, so that'll be plenty fine by uh, our standards. Unless, of course, we w- receive some wicked company sponsorship money. Which we'll talk about later. Bam, 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 bam. Sure, for sure. Oh, before we get into it. So you're drinking a bean nectar. What's the one that you're drinking? The uh, Punk Lemonade. All right. I'm going to try and toss some links down here. Yeah, it's a hard cider stuff. with raspberry. Oh, it's right. It's, not it's a hard cider with raspberry lemon. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, pink lemonade, really. Uh, and it's delicious. It's I have a short Barney's Blood. Mm-hmm. But no, just Barney, not Barney's Blood, just Barney Blood. It's a milkshake IP- milkshake inspired IPA. So at least one of us had to have the IPA for the show title to work. Like it, it sure. was it was a requirement. We don't I don't think we have any in our fridge at the moment. Uh well, I mean, these are vaguely an IPA, and then you have the um, the M40, shorts. You have the M forty three IPAs. Oh, that's true. Those are a special. <laughs> um, <sighs> so that, I guess that's what that's what we're drinking. Also, with the uh, quality um, dihydrogen monoxide, yeah, man, to supplement the yeah ethanol. Yeah, God, that was, something like that. That was painful More to say. Less. I didn't enjoy saying that. Yeah, man, you didn't even take <laughs> chemistry, which is rough. Being done with college is definitely a surreal experience. I'm um, slowly getting into the process of moving out. 
and moving across the country, which is going to be pretty. Uh, yeah, you'll quite be leaving the, the wooden Midwest TM for the for the sure. Mid East TM. For sure, the Southeast for sure. As much as I don't want to consider, it's def- it's the South. Bare- so. It's like calling no, it's dude. calling Michigan the Midwest. Like it barely fits. No, Michigan is quintessentially Midwest. No, we're, we're, we're the farthest east you can possibly no, hit from the Midwest. No, like, Ohio and stuff fall, and and even Indiana fall in the Midwest, but like. Those are like do nothing Midwestern states. Even like Iowa is like hanging out even further south, and then it's like not nah, Midwest though. It's weird. But west and east are no. Literal. I mean, I get that, but like, like it's in the middle. But if Ohio's in, then Michigan's definitely in. And then, especially with the UP hanging out over the bridge, bridging the gap, essentially. I don't know. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Literally bridging the gap. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, but like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Michigan's quintessentially Midwest. I just do. I, I think it brings a lot to the Midwestern culture, which is generally pretty shitty. And I'm not saying that Michigan necessarily makes it better, but it brings a lot to the culture. It, it's kind of just a continuation of of more of the same, which is not you know not bad um yeah oh plus i guess it's like it's mid like none of us should be midwest midwest should be like north dakota that's what i'm saying no i mean i get that but like because the colonies started on the east they had no concept of how far the west was and then like I don't yeah, know. I've looked this up. I'm before, not a like, fucking I was like, history I, teacher. I've, I don't I've know. I've definitely, literally Googled why is like Michigan in the Midwest because I was like, sure. this is not a very it's far very west state. Eastern. Yeah, but I, like, I don't know. I'm not a fucking history teacher. I'm sure there was something about like we haven't, we didn't. No, yeah, go, we we went west. Yeah, we went west, but we didn't go super far west, and then eventually we did go far west, but then we didn't change how. It, whatever. It's pedantic, I guess. Right. Um. But that's twice I've used that word in this episode so far. It's terrible. I need to freshen, we'll make it, it, freshen it at up least a three bit. times, Bam. Well, we might cut out the first one, so who knows? Oh yeah, there's gonna um, be some 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 nice mastering on this one. It's gonna whatever. be a good time. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited yeah. for this one. It's gonna be a five short. Yeah. Um, oh, we should do the follow up before we get too deep into this. I yeah. forgot that we had follow up. Yep. Pie hole's working well. Nothing really to add to that. Nope. Uh, it works. Blog post is still live. It works. Yep. Um, you're moving I'll be getting another router because I need to replace the router that you got hopefully it's it works are you going to link what router uh, you're getting uh, maybe I'll uh, it might be there yeah sure. nope that's it's a, it's, nope. A, it's a micro tick I don't know um, it was oh, recommended goodness. by me by a friend who is much more knowledgeable about the networking oh, stuff good lord um router board and it's the HAPAC2 it's like $60 there it is what apparently they're like it's like enterprise grade without the price tag of like Cisco is the idea sure so like the the type of hardware is used at like ISPs so it the they call it router OS I guess is like the interface Um, you can dig very much in deep into all the nitty gritty details for configuring it not that I'll need to I print a pretty what was the model number it's the Microtech HAP AC2. 
I mean, you don't need to say it to me like I would understand. <laughs> I don't, oh, that's just six characters you have to get in there, H-A-P-A-C-2. I, yeah, H-A-P-A-C-2. I guess that makes sense if you break it down like six characters, but that's um, not a sexy product name. I don't know. I mean, there's like a serial or whatever. I mean, something. Um, sure. I think the main thing that interests me is like it can be an access point or it can also do router things, which is really weird because it's advertised as like the name and the Amazon listing is like a router. No, the other way around. It's like oh. it's an access point. I'm like, yeah, but can it do router things like DHCP, <laughs> which is obviously required for this? Um, and it can. So, yeah. I. I don't know. I mean, it'll be a good enough time. Holy shit, dude. It's got, I mean, fucking four-core CPU. I think you're already pretty damn good. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, like, I don't know what it has to do with. It's like all those firewall rules, man. Well, I mean, just any, well, the CPU. My insane network infrastructure. Has to process requests that are coming in and going out. Right. So having something that the minute the idea is it's not being bottlenecked by a stupid component. That's interesting that I, I, I never really considered that. It would be multi-threaded. I don't think it's multi-threaded. Oh. It's just four cores. <laughs> like I just yeah. I wonder I how they partition the load. No, there. I don't. Right, <laughs> I don't think that they have. Yeah, I don't think it's two cores, four threads. I think they just like four physical cores that they just have doing four things in a very literal, non-abstracted way. But anyway, that's some nitty-gritty stuff um but yeah you were um well how do i i almost said this in a very leading manner oof yeah well i mean so paul how is your brand new r9 fury gpu tears hmm. i've had a really poor experience with this ebay yeah Real very, poor. very poor uh it's so, not so poor in fact that yeah it's i'm getting a refund full-blown not even here because the seller was like just do a refund i'll give you the money back i, I don't know it's been a while it's been a long well because first the, it was first like the seller was like hey i sent it out here's the tracking number and then it was like uh this tracking number hasn't done anything for like a week and then it was like you then i reached out and yep. they were like well um i had an issue with usps um sending it they didn't like how i was doing it so i'm resending it with another flat rate box um and then i reached out after a week and they were like well i don't know what's wrong you should have it by now and then they're just like i i'm leaving the country going on vacation just send a refund request and i was like oh, i just want the card though <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I, in between like the last three weeks, the eBay market has completely changed for at least the, the Sapphire R9 series. There's not a lot. They're pretty expensive. I have my eye on a single, a single auction right now that is expiring in about in, mm, later today in about seven hours. Um, I have probably like a $20 leeway if it goes up that I could, um, that's a tight window. Yeah. It's, so I am disappointed um, that I don't have that by now. I was hoping I was going to have it by now. Yeah. Especially now that there's a bit of a, I guess, extra free time with school being done. Yeah. This in interim, this limbo state yeah. where I could at least, you know, do really, some. It's not really limbo. I mean, I guess. It's it, vaguely limbo. It vaguely. I don't have right. any it real responsibilities for the next. Right. About two months ish yeah um Damn. and just like 
I don't know, playing games. I want to do some photo editing, video editing. There's some stuff for this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's not like the computer is unusable. It just becomes unusable very quickly. Yeah. Um, so at which least I get, be, like, I can get yes. data off there. It's not like it's bricked, which is the thankful part. It's not like it's completely broken. It's just... Well, the only thing is your video card, which, like... Right, it just it makes it unusable after a certain time. It Correct. just locks up. We talked about this last right, right, uh, right. episode. And I did try it again, like, to make sure that, like, letting it hang out powered off for a while and it's it still comes back the same issue so i don't know yeah um i even tried i think updating the drivers because there was like a new optional release by amd nothing really changed um so anyways uh long story short no new gpu i'm gonna still try and get another fury because i want to stick with sapphire because that's the brand i previously used i like their um their tuning software on windows just for like fan speed stuff i don't do overclocking for the gpu at least um but that Fury seems like a good purchase in general. I There's other ones around. I've seen some of the FOD RX 500 series, like a 570 or a 580. The 580 is what I have in the computer right now. Um, and there's like some older generation ones, but I don't know. Maybe uh, later today uh, this bid will work out and I'm able to pick up the, um, the Fury that's on sale. It's also just kind of a bummer because like the refund is like in limbo status and paypal should be done by the end of the week so it's not like touching my bank account per se but it's still annoying that i'll be like out like double the price for like a few days while the refund gets processed right it's just uh i don't know it's hard the seller hasn't been terrible i don't maybe really answer this mm. is like is ratings in ebay is it binary is it a positive or negative or can you do stars i think it's stars so i think it's like a solid three out of five experience for me is like they've been relatively responsive but like somewhere along the way definitely dropped the ball well right um, that's that's what I but was the communication's just, been mm. de- decent like a three out of five in terms of that when they respond they get back in like five minutes yeah. and their typing is pretty clear communication isn't bad they mm. they're a real person somewhere they've done previous transactions it's like clearly not a scam they're e- processing the refund it just seemed yeah. like i've had a bad experience for sure which is a bummer kind of a rotten egg but like definitely yeah. i definitely would say there are like I mean, it sounds like they're pretty busy. I don't really know how it is running uh, a business like that. Like, that's probably pretty stressful, and you probably I have high value. Prim- Excuse me. Oh, God. A primary seller for eBay? They don't seem to, like, have that kind of storefront, but they did have this weird... They were selling, like, a batch of, like, 50 of those GPUs. So, right. clearly, they, maybe through work or somehow, they were able to do, at least as a side business eBay stuff but it's definitely not the primary thing they weren't like one of those like storefronts where it's oh, just yeah. like they have like hundreds a thousand odd transactions right. and it's what they do well, full time yeah well regardless like even if it's not full time it's probably still pretty stressful is the point but like what the first the first error that I saw in their kind of handling of the situation was uh, not to hyper focus on this either I think I can just touch on this so we can move move on but like the delivery was like in limbo for a week on yeah. your end right but i feel like they should have right after discovering that u.s postal service was upset about them sending graphics cards in unpadded envelopes that he should have reached out to his customers and been like hey i ran into a delay at the the post office like we'll get them out later this week and update the tracking numbers or something right or however it is it was like a this happened, and then radio silence until the customer reaches out and asks, hey, where's my package? 
And then he goes, oh, sorry, yeah, it's coming. Sorry, that's my bad. And then now, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've dealt with some, like, kind of shady pseudo scams on eBay. This doesn't necessarily sound like it, but there's just a lot going on. And then there's, like, the very quick, like, oh, I'm traveling out of the country in 30 days, so fuck it. So it sounds like he'll just give the refund, but... There's just a lot of like odd coincidences and, and, and lapse in communication, which if I were in their position, I absolutely would understand. Because like if I'm like traveling and, the, and and doing like a whole lot of stuff that I'm not necessarily used to doing, like I can get flustered or overwhelmed very easily. That totally makes sense. It's just like it's uh, on a on a customer side of things, it definitely gets a little weird, um, sketchy at best, if you will. But I think that's about that. Bummer that it's not there. What is it? It's a bummer that it isn't there. I agree with you. We're wrapping up that conversation. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the uh, the Barney's blood. Yeah, the beer that you're drinking. It's an eight point one percent, which is higher than I thought. Well, didn't we? We it look- wasn't on the package though. No, but things- we looked it up on on tap before we oh, bought did we? it. Oh, did we? I did. Uh, I don't I thought I that. mentioned that's higher than like Two Hearted. No shit. Which I feel is a pretty like it's a baseline for IPAs at least like. Nah. <laughs> You know, I don't, I definitely mean, in Michigan compared to like for the major beer sure. manufacturers. Like, yes. Right, yeah. You know. Fuck major beer manufacturers at that point. Like they're kind of out of the conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. Minus like minus uh, the obvious ones like Voodoo Ranger and like uh, um, um, what's his face? Damn it. I'm blanking. He's a fucking j- dogfish head. Oh, but even sure. then they, they're, they're major but their beers do clock at lower but those are two major ones that are like not shit. Dogfish Head being, like, actually made by a guy who gives a frick about beer. Um, actually, that's right. Did we decide last week if we were doing a PG podcast? or No, it's always marked as explicit. Okay, that's right. All right. I, was, um, yeah. I only really bleep out stuff that would potentially be, like, sensitive, at least yeah, PII sure. stuff. As yeah, per the, my the thing social security number is 555-12-5353. <laughs> Is that Valen? No, I don't want to beat that man. out. I don't, I don't know. know. I hope Probably it, not. Anybody listening, that's clearly clearly not a thing. Actually, yeah. I don't know how that would be valid. I don't It know. would be, but like, because it's iterative, I guess, you know? Yeah, they do increment. Yeah, sure. But like, I don't know how many people are, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, all four of our listeners, we love you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Open up a line of credit using that social security. <laughs> Just do it. I don't know. Try it. Uh, Why not? Try it. What do you have to lose? Um, nothing but your freedom. Uh, um, fidget spinners. Yeah, that's next on our list. Yeah, we're just going down. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> misplaced or somehow can't find the one that I had, so I splurged on the. Uh, there was an April sale for this website e-commerce business called Spinetic Spinners, and I bought three. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They're cool. That's really all I got. We got, well, we can give, like, a brief history of our, our relationship with, um... <laughs> the fidget spinner industry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Well, like, we caught it, like, right before the boom. Oh, yeah, that's and, true. Like, that's and, fair. And, like, almost, like, right, right before the boom. Like, truly. I'm not saying, like, oh, yeah, dude, we were, like, spinning out there, like, every day for, OG. like, yeah, years sure. or months or what. Like, straight up, we... Had a coworker who had a fidget spinner, and then uh, 
within a couple of weeks after that, we got our own fidget spinners from Spinetic at the time. Yeah. Because they were like inexpensive. They were like 20 bucks for like, I had like a machined brass for, I don't know how to even describe it. Three? No, it was a three. It was like a tri armed spinner. None of these have names. It's not official. I'm not like naming stuff that's like, oh, you got to be in the know to know this. I'm, I'm trying to come up with words to describe what this is. <laughs> but. And then you got yours from the same seller. I did. Spinetic. I did. You got the bow tie looking one. Yeah, I'll throw a link into that one just because it's sure. the El Clasico one for me at least. But like, I mean, and around the time that we were getting ours, like there was just it, it started to bubble um, because there were like reviews on YouTube. There were like spinner channels like that was just <laughs> yeah, pop, like just popping up, and they're like, yeah. oh, this is an executive spinner or something. And they were, like, making out spinners to be, like, this, like, CEO kind of, like, very high. I don't know. It was just, it was very interesting to see. And then, yeah, Q, probably a month to two months after we got ours, it, like, it blew up to the, like, you know, the plastic ones are flooding gas stations everywhere. Oh, sure. Kids are having them fucking everywhere. It's, it's basically a meme. And everyone freaks out about it. Um, but, yeah, we had it, like, literally just before that bubble. Yeah, I'm looking at my account here, and I ordered my first one uh, in the middle of March in 2017, about two years sure, ago. Sure, yeah. And then I ordered these ones, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, the, the mm. ones you ordered a couple of weeks ago on sale, you got three for the price of essentially what we paid for. Uh, yeah, they, they, like, the sale plus, clearly the bubble is dead i mean yeah, yeah they're trying to sell to, off stock right for sure um i don't know yeah 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 i mean it works out for sure oh, they're kind of fun little things to have around i guess i yeah they're not bad i mean fidget toys are just like not they're not the worst but the weird kind of culture that surrounded it <laughs> was confusing to say the least but yeah i think you've got uh You've got those in. I, I've given mine away. Did you uh, have more than one? No, just the just one. Just the one. You had a nice one, though. I yeah, liked it. I liked, I liked it, a lot. it, too. Yeah. I, it was nice to, to fidget with. I. No, I did only have the one. I'm trying to think. Yep, I really. I think I only did. Anyway. Neat. Fidget uh, spinners. Did I mention that project i was doing for my network security course no last i don't episode. think anything more than like we have projects Vaguely. okay yeah one of the courses that i had um didn't have a final exam it was just a project so uh what i did was just a little i don't know piece of software that uh gets certificates that allow your website to be viewed over https so that's the the one with the S that gives you the uh, the old encrypted traffic, green, sh like, I don't know, lock in the address bar of a browser. That's the way you distinguish that. Um, I don't know. I'll throw a link in there. It was kind of <laughs> interesting to do. I mean, it, it, like classic college credit, I guess. Like a lot of like, I don't know, a bunch of research beforehand, a fair amount of like technical documentation, reading through some pretty... <sighs> verbose dry material not poorly written just dense um yeah a lot of like that technical stuff comes in the 
the form of RFCs. They stand for request for comments. So a lot of the internet standards, things like, I don't know, email protocols, a lot of, I mean, in this case, the, the, the protocol allows you to um, get a, a certificate, a TLS certificate for free. This is through the ACME protocol, the uh, we had automatic certificate management environment. Um, so reading through that RFC, or at least skimming at the bare least, bare minimum, like 95 pages, 25,000 words. Poor metrics to gauge it on, but oh, it's valuable nonetheless. Oh, for sure. Um, I don't know how it worked. You know, the project worked. Uh, I thought it was really cool. I watched yeah, no, I, the demo. demo was okay. I definitely rushed it because... The time went over. Time was hell over. But I don't know. You know, I, I, I got a. I, I remember I chatted to my instructor after, and um, I was just like, "Hey, I'm mean, great that I got a, you know, hundred percent on that." And he's like, "Yeah, you know, you, you did the thing. You know, you said what you wanted to do, and you did the do, and then you know, you you documented it, and like the debt that concludes getting a hundred percent. You know, the idea is that you learned something. I did. So nice. Shout out there, I guess." Definitely. Um, I don't know. I'll just toss the old link in here. And uh, moving on to another side project of mine that has been, I would say, recently taking up a bit of my time. Uh, Medium is the, the place where people post publications, articles, blog posts, etc. Yeah. Um, I don't personally use it to blog that's not my platform of choice we could talk about that another time but yeah. um you can get rss feeds for people's like things they post or you get stuff like certain topics or when you tag a post you can get post tags with a certain tag um and uh, again just another little piece of software that gets the rss feed and converts it to something that you could uh, use it, it's a format called JSON, um, which is a a way of like encoding or decoding data, serializing it. If you want to be sure. technical, I guess um, it's pretty common these days on the uh, the web, I suppose. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll throw a link in there for that one too. For sure, it's a small one, kind of interesting. Are, yeah, that one's like definitely very small. Yeah, like, comparatively to the. Acme yeah, client. I mean, yeah, the, the scope is way more, and I would say, reduced. At least on paper, it is smaller. I think the interesting thing, though, is just like when you're when like the 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 program for getting a certificate, like the scope was very like clear. It's like either it works or it doesn't, and here's the general steps you need to take to make it work. Whereas anything else is like more like open ended. You're like you define the scope yourself, and I don't know, even the API at that point. True, it's yeah. all just kind of yeah, yeah, up in the air for you. Right. Do um, actually, that <laughs> brings me brings me to that. Um, how would you define an API? Like just the words "application programming interface." Um, yeah, application programming interface. So in the in the sense, the interface is pre-written functions that you get to interact with that then serve a higher purpose to interface with an app or a so, service of some kind. Could you say that an analogy that is mildly adequate would be the power outlet on the wall? That would be the interface to the electrical grid. 
Because, hear me, there's multiple ways, there's multiple interfaces for getting an electrical connection. The outlet just happens to be a very common one. It's also sure. across countries, even though there's with specific that, differences. With that explanation afterwards, loosely, yes. Yes. I think Cause I, that is a hard analogy. It's a, cause, again, because the API is very vague. It's very, it, it's it so loose. Well, it means sure. like we could be talking no, about something like, right. you, like an address you get on the web or just like you're using some library framework and the API is just these functions that are exposed that you can call that take an input and provide an output and that's the API because technically it's the way that you interface with the program. Yeah, it definitely falls apart like on, on a lot of levels. Right, when, it's when not it's a, no, no, it's, no, no, it's a sure. bad, electricity is but a, like, so a is, rough analogy. So is just APIs in general, I guess, yeah. trying to encompass it because, right, the idea of the outlet one where it's like, well, I didn't even think the whole like, well, there's another way to interface with it, and it's like, yeah, technically, I could rip up all the copper. Or even I was my thinking house. like, like it in your car, you have a cigarette lighter oh, that is a 12 volt DC. Sure. There's multiple Jesus. interfaces. But that's a totally different. But that, that's, that's okay. not the grid, though. You're not. Well, no, but it's to AC grid. versus DC. I think like the. Oof. But no, I, I think, think that electricity. Okay. Yeah. If we scope the electricity one back to the outlet connecting to the grid, is closest to the API. Definitely sure. forget the car or anything else, because the idea of the grid is. The application that you're interfacing with, like Unsplash's API, we want to interface with Unsplash in some way, shape or form. Sure. We need an interface to do that, and they provide that. Right. So, like the outlet is the interface to the grid, and the grid is Unsplash. Uh, and sure. The outlets like and endpoint or a piece of the API. But what I was saying is like I didn't even think of for the electricity analogy before you started explaining it further. Of like, yeah, I could. Like, I've heard it before. Is I the could, reason okay, I bring that it up would, vaguely? Because um, um, like, yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, I could go outside of the power line right now and like drop a fucking fat piece of copper wire onto the transformer and be like, all right, done. <laughs> and that yeah, would be like, I mean, like that would be there like, are some things that do take I mean, three phase. They do for sure. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's a yeah. It, it, th- it holds up well enough for the sake of the conversation that I think it's like, it makes it more approachable to somebody who has never programmed their life. And I think, but I like, feel full like stop. People like, don't understand electricity either, which is the issue. I think they vaguely get enough that like there's ways to consume it, like through the the outlet on the wall. That's you know what 110, 115 hertz, you sure. know, whatever. Three phase. Well, not three phase, but well, that's um, one twenty volt. Um, through a USB connection, you know, five volts, two amps. Through your car, there's different ways to consume that. There's different interfaces, and even if they don't get the technical stuff, which I only get at a high level because I, you know, slogged through five years of university. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cue the laughter. Uh, yeah, I'm just lost in thought, trying to think of a better api one that's more tangible to a wider audience but that's at least just, at least the um electricity one holds up better for api versus than people and people compare it to like the internet because it, it's a commodity i, I don't know so I it's just a tangent that i've just I, never liked um i don't know like the one that popped in my head this one it like just popped in my head i don't have any time to flush it out so this is just kind of like off the top kind of thing but like music would be a pretty good one to do oh sure we're like we're like using itunes is kind of like an api to like play your music where like music is the application in general and then itunes is the easy way of doing that versus like performing the music for yourself sure versus like i'm picking up a guitar i'm playing the music to hear it 
I could like go to iTunes and then do that and hear the music or whatever. That seems like it's still abstract and encompassing enough for the API. And it's like, it helps the whole like do it yourself become more tangible versus like do it yourself or like the differences. Sure. And then there's still, it kind of still encompasses the differences of like you can perform your music yourself. You can go see live music. You could use iTunes or you could use Spotify or you could buy a physical media or whatever um, and so on. But, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's like a, an easy way. I think I might, to try to explain it, adopt the music one to talk to people about because. I think, yeah. again, it works well enough. They're consuming sure. it through multiple different ways. Like, I don't, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it, it's intentionally vague because I just, yeah. the concept itself is intentionally vague for the sake of encompassing a probably too wide a variety of. For sure. Context. Trying to do, trying yeah. to do literally everything. Yeah, right. Righto. Um, and I think at that point we can talk a little bit about um, my favorite brewery in Michigan. Yeah, Beards Brewery dot com in Petoskey, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, uh, we had the uh, the I don't know adjective here. We had the pleasure of meeting with uh, Emily from Beards Brewery. Uh, I don't know last week. Another tasting. Uh, nearby to us and um, I don't know quick shout out to Emily she commented on our rapport 100% 100%. she said she said and I quote you two should have a podcast and then then we follow up with what we do (laughs) (laughs) we absolutely do do have a podcast and uh, Emily if you're listening we're waiting on those six packs yeah that's right if you found this you're awesome and also uh we would love to do an episode where we kind of hang out and chat it was like it's always lovely when we hung out and chat at the beer tasting and doing that around uh you know beard space would be incredible so for sure if you if you somehow are hearing this which would be pretty impressive because not only would you then have to find the podcast but then you would have to get through nine episodes of it uh, uh, skipping around uh, things that probably don't really matter <laughs> to find this section, but damn, if you do, Kyby, contact us. I think you at least have one or two ways of, of finding us, most likely through Paul, but definitely hit us up for sure. What's your favorite beer from Beards? Uh, I probably have to agree with you on the Almadillo one. Okay, yeah. That, that's like the, that's the constant. For I, sure. I think we said to Emily during the tasting, it's like the two-hearted of beards, which is like pretty apt, you know. I it, said the their citranity was the two-hearted oh, of their... I, I'm mistaken. Yeah. But then Emily was like, no, that's a good thing because two-hearted is extremely successful. Yeah, stupid ex- successful. So, yeah, I, I, Almadillo is a solid one that I really enjoy. Um, their limited release seasonal, Copper Star Galactica, has an excellent can design. Oh, um, yeah. It's a pretty good, like a fruity... It's pretty fruity, I suppose. Yeah, very. It's kind of uh, well. It's really cool. The Copper Star hops are native to Michigan, which is ah, uh, yeah. Stellar. There was that detail that for sure, which definitely just makes like a, uh, an interesting beer even more interesting, uh, and definitely more local kind of kind of thing, which is always fun. Um, but yeah, I think I think from there, we've got. 
two more topics before we get into the meat of the podcast. The We're old meat. 37 minutes in. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's a long one. Shut up. It is a long one, I guess. <laughs> or we just trim the whole thing down. Yeah. The viewers will never know. Whatever they uh, Why will. are we calling them viewers? They're listeners. I didn't yeah, ever I say know. viewer Yeah, well, in my I'm life. Oof. Are you selling your bike? Oh, Are you actually going to sell your bike? Yes. You've mentioned to me so many times. Yes. Okay. It has no use being ridden in a city. It really doesn't. I really don't think so. Are you giving up single track? No, but that's why I get the N equals one. Because, I don't know. Well, I guess for the time being, yeah, I kind of am. Because, like, I'm not going to be in an area that is, like, rife with single track. It's way more road and like normal trail. I mean, you'll have your car though. riding. I like I can this, navigate to Southeast TM is, but like has um, lots of good trails. Yeah, I I don't know. Then that's why the N equals one. So my N equals one for one. It's like a one bike that does everything. That's what a lot of people call their N equals one bike. The one that I was looking at getting is um, uh, Paul has a fat bike from framed i think we've talked about it before oh definitely linked pictures the whole Ooh, night i finally posted my blog post about it I'll sure go ahead and slap that bad boy in there while you uh pull up the old link that i'm sure you're trying to get some good specs on yeah so um, like i basically i want a fat bike um i've always wanted a fat bike after kind of going out and riding them uh with paul uh they're just a blast um they're really functional in my opinion as well which is like pretty awesome so yeah i think the, they're the, as close to an n equals one as i can get so for me i would get a fat bike and then get a secondary wheel set that i can then um this has changed price already i don't know what's happening here this is actually a little bit weird this has gone up 200 dollars since i last checked this this is very bizarre something's going on with their updating it might be something that i have that's breaking it because this would be a lot more expensive hold on while i sort this out really quickly so i think yeah the interesting thing about like fat bikes in general is if it's a 26 inch wheel with a a large four plus inch wide tire um, it turns out you can like roughly approximately put on like a 27 and a half inch wheel with like a two inch wide tire. Mm-hmm. The geometry works out well enough to like fit the frame in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where you're coming from. You want to keep like right. one for commuting and one for, you know, the, the non pavement, I guess, vaguely. Well, yeah, very vaguely. Cause like you're not really 27 or anything, and a half you know? by yeah. two would be able to handle like, um, would be able to handle like a lot of what touring bikes handle right yeah for um, sure. like more than adequate more than adequately enough but then like it would also be able to work pretty well as like a, a commuter bombing around paved roads and so on because i have like at a minimum half the rolling resistance that i would previously but then the fat tire would still allow me to if i ran it tubeless would allow me to actually like still do single track and other just more gnarly stuff and the flexibility of like sand and the flexibility of snow so like my n equals one is like well it's one frame with two wheel sets one for kind of the all terrain and one for like a little bit more groomed terrain 
um and i don't know so like yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i'm coming from um the one that i'm looking at is the framed alaskan carbon because like kind of if i'm buying an n equals one bike it would just be kind of nice to 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 it would be more expensive than i you know in general would probably like but definitely is just one of those things where if i'm trying to just have one like the investment is kind of worth it um so like it's a full carbon frame and then i would get the carbon fork because i don't really feel like dealing with suspension anymore after having some suspension troubles in the past with uh there are a couple different drivetrain options uh, i'm kind of between them i'm not really sure there's like two different nx which i'm not sure what it stands for it's there's SRAM. It's just the the name. Yeah, but it's like the SRAM NX Eagle versus the SRAM NX like one by eleven. The Eagle. I would assume that you want the Eagle because the Eagle's it's like one by what, twelve. What? So I think the Eagle's then gear that they give for the really the big granny gear like the fifty two through whatever. For sure, but like on the cassette. So um. it it's just. But here's the oh actually no I wouldn't want it. Rip actually I just so I would have to get the nx one by 11 sure so the nx uh or i'd have to pay a lot 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 more money for the eagle um so what's interesting is the nx one by 11 and the static carbon fork that they have comes with carbon wheels that are tubeless compatible so the rims are are carbon 26 inch rims with uh pub hubs and their pub rims too much compatible really i don't know either. company i've never heard of but, them but, but yeah. then they also on not not importantly but they also upgrade the seat post to a carbon seat post so interesting literally everything on it i think with the exception of the um um handlebars are going to be carbon fiber which is pretty pretty gnarly huh. to, to be honest but um, the uh, NX Eagle has the carbon fork alloy wheel option for $100 more. But the concession is the alloy wheels are frames alloy wheels and they are not tubeless compatible. Which is then like, damn, that sucks. And then if I want to get the carbon fork and the carbon wheels, the price jumps up another $600 for like the extra granny gear so like i'm just not really sure i'm sure someone with a lot more knowledge and experience could explain to me the difference between the two systems in a way that makes a lot more sense where it justifies that price because i'm obviously there are two different things at two different um prices so there's clearly something going on that that whatever you know is just is happening to justify that but for for myself and just kind of getting it done and and getting it kind of in my hands the carbon fork with a sram one by nx one by 11 seems like the way to go that clocks in at like it's gonna sound kind of expensive but in the scheme of these things is not no that clocks in at sixteen hundred dollars um so yeah like how much would an extra wheel set cost uh probably another two to three hundred so like under two thousand, yeah. but like I for me the biggest thing is a lot of the other bikes that I was looking at, um, were like two thousand dollars out of the box, which is like pretty uh, brutal. 
like surly bikes were like two thousand dollars for their ogre if i recall correctly which like i mean high quality construction and so on but the idea is like full carbon is unheard of at that price and then if i am going to be using it for a commuter bike it's really convenient that it's very lightweight and really nice um i'm sure someone's gonna if we had a comment section or an open email someone would and we had listeners we'd have someone come in and, and tell me about uh, durability issues with carbon which i don't necessarily disagree with but um yeah like it's uh it's not the worst i don't think it's going to be terrible bad uh, i'm aware that that carbon fiber can crack uh and certainly a lot a shit ton easier than like uh any alloy or steel in a lot of situations that bikes would be put under but i'll take it for the weight savings because if i yeah if i'm commuting on that thing you know having a lightweight bike is is nice it weighs less over over miles and then also when then i'm fat biking having an ultra light bike on the snow and stuff just helps me sink in less which is also nice so i i think it's worth it um obviously if it's shit i'll like i have to update this and let everyone know um, but I, I doubt, I'm sure I'll be more than happy and satisfied. I've seen, I've seen some pretty gnarly things done to, to carbon bikes and carbon wheel sets. I know not all of them are created equal, but I saw Danny McCastle take a carbon wheel set down like a 50 set of stairs without any rear tire on it at all. Um, and it didn't crack until he like jumped that same stair set or something and landed on it flat so it seems like it can it can take a lot of impact uh again i know they're not created equal but i think it'll be okay i'm pretty sure it'll be okay yeah i'm looking forward to hearing about this yeah we'll find out it'll be a couple months before i get anywhere near getting it but yeah i feel that um we'll get around to it (sighs) for me i'm looking at a uh like a solid hardtail yeah. So no rear suspension, just front suspension. Right. I don't know. Modern components, modern geometry. So like domestic one would be like the Trek Roscoe 8. Um, it's around the similar price to you. It's around $1,500, um, 27.5 inch wheels with like mid-fat tires. They, they clock in at like 2.8 inches wide. Um, it does have the 1x12 gearing which is nice um i don't know just like a solid purchase over around i suppose no definitely um for the import slash international slash old canadia uh the rocky mountain growler 50 is a pretty similar purchase that'd be dope um, shout out to canada shout out to canadia um i don't know yeah i don't think we have much else on the bike topic i had a track that i was looking at that would be like uh, very perfect for a lot of like pretty heavy duty lifting. It's got a lot of. Oh, um, that was a, the eleven like twenty or 11, something. Yeah, you remembered it exactly. But um, it's like again, same deal. It comes in at like a at a hefty, hefty out of the box price tag. I'll have to. I'm gonna look at it right now to kind of jog my memory a little bit more it was, on a, it. It was a wild one, it, it's like a two it's a yeah it's a 20 it's a 29 plus and it's so it's not a fat 
fat bike, but it's oh yeah, never mind. It's even more expensive than I remember. It's twenty like, twenty six hundred dollars. Um, holy fuck! For one, that price is jaw drop. That's almost as much as my car. Um, I'm seeing some discrepancies because even this like bikepacking.com had it at two hundred dollars under retail. I guess it is one of those things where you never pay retail in, in a lot of shops and whatever. Oh, definitely. Not, I think no. the guys quoted it maybe even lower than what you know this is saying as well. But right. But it 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 is just that's that's obscene. Yeah, I, I couldn't do that no matter how much more godly this bike is claimed to be than than anything else it's got a lot of features it's really nice but i I just couldn't that's so expensive so right the doing the fat bike and then kind of maneuvering beyond that with kind of a different wheel set probably the most ideal for me and then i think with that we can talk about um so in our browser extension episode we were both on chrome we talked about how what extensions we were using on chrome and how they would probably be available on every other um, major browser, i.e. Firefox. In general, yeah. Um, but since then, and actually for quite some time, we've we've shifted and we've we've gone to full-time Firefox developer across all of our devices. Yeah, developer slash nightly. Yeah, um, right. Because I right. Android it's, makes it weird for sure. Because it's um, their nightly build, but then they call it their developer edition. But then on the very weird. Play yeah. Store, it's nightly only. It is odd. Um, Indeed, it is odd. But it's yeah. been great. No, the only major I've been like the major things that I can really think of off the top of my head are like. Uh, there's, I don't have a, well, at least I'm not running a, an extension to redirect amazon.com to smile.amazon.com. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot not a video, that. I just go there anyways. It's, I don't know, somehow I've trained myself to do it. Um, then I have a couple of bookmarklets, um, which are just, um, literally a bookmark. It is instead of, uh, when you click it, it goes to web page. It just runs, um, some arbitrary JavaScript code. So you can like, I don't know, just some nice functionality. Um, the one that I tried to use that wasn't working, um, and I don't think I can fix it, was uh, on massdrop.com, which has now been rebranded to drop.com. Um, the way that they, uh, like, their whole business model is about having an account um, to do group buys to get the best price. So a lot of the times when you're viewing items, if you don't have an account, you're just viewing the like the, I don't know, the naked page. I suppose you can't see the price tag, which was really annoying, especially if I was like on a phone or in a different device where I wasn't like logged in. Um, so just a little JavaScript um, bookmarklet to copy the URL to the the page with this special URL parameter appended to it, which would like it was just open guest mode is what they called it, where you could still see the price and everything even if you weren't logged in. So I could share it to people. Was That was the whole thing. And there was something about um, doing a copy to clipboard that came from like a non-user initiated context, i.e. A, a bookmarklet. Like it has to be sort of organic to the page. Um, they, they click something like within the page. I was unable to, at least in my couple of minutes of like, finding out the initial problem. I was able to get it working. Um, the workaround is not that much harder. It just takes a little bit more time. Um, 
otherwise I'd say the performance has been at least better. There's a lot less memory usage that oh, I've been way noticing. Though. Way though, um, I mean, way, way better. I don't know. It, yeah. I think the other, the biggest thing is that I actually I used it for a time. Um, doing work, web development work, because the inspector tool is like infinitely. The developer tools on it, and I don't quote me, but maybe it default Firefox. Uh, but definitely the developer edition of Firefox are incredible because they have a lot of things when you like look at an element, you can see its alignment and it just gives you it when you float. And there's like a whole section for how things are being influenced by Flexbox and so on. And like if Flexbox is applied to an element, there's just a lot more flexibility in the dev tools versus Google Chrome. So like that, while I wasn't using it, I was oddly using it to just run localhost when I was using it at work some time ago, but then was using Google Chrome to do everything else just because I, like many people from many, 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 many years ago, was just like, no, I'm just going to use Google Chrome. Like, it's what I have on everything. It's what I want or whatever. Performance or whatever. I, I don't know, you know, just that vague sense of like, I'm not going to let this go. But then I just kind of made the switch, went cold turkey, and it's worked out. I definitely for the for the better. I'd say there's only like one or two things that are a little weird. I think I had an issue syncing account preferences for my um, desktop and my mobile, but everything else would sync like open tabs or bookmarks or anything else would like sync but then there was like an account preference thing where i wanted to turn some feature off that was turned on by default and it didn't like me doing that between devices for some reason but that, i'll just chalk that up to an edge case that they didn't adequately uh, account for but i mean right even on mobile though like i now have the ability to have extensions uh on my browser that's a big one huge so like now i have ad block and https everywhere and privacy badger running on my mobile device so if i go to a web page like there's a great chance that i'm not going to see ads anymore which is like unheard of on the in the mobile space because it's just you know that's how you get half and plus there's just so many users on on mobile when they visit it um, websites so they just get all that sweet sweet ad revenue but making people go bankrupt out here um, they did recently just a few days ago have like a pretty big pretty Fiasco. massive um, browser breaking well borderline browser breaking faux pas um, they basically I'll just explain it from an end user's perspective and then let Paul Kind of take it away as to what actually happened behind the scenes, but I opened Firefox and suddenly all of my extensions were gone and disabled. Disabled, well, pseudo gone. They were all disabled, and when I went to look at them, it said I don't have any, and then I had to click Show Legacy Extensions, and then all of mine extensions were put under a hard to find legacy extensions and disabled with no way to re-enable them only ways to search for an equivalent one or delete so even searching for an equivalent one it would find the same add-on and then it just wouldn't work i would get an error that said cannot download add-on check 
internet connection and so on so it was like what is happening what what is going on so for a brief period of time probably about half a day it, it seemed like the browser just fragged itself for seemingly pretty much no reason I'm gonna let Paul kind of take away how that happened uh, while I get up briefly and go grab some resources Oh no, I have to run this solo for a brief moment of time. You can explain that. Oh no. Uh, vaguely, they, um, Mozilla let a, a certificate expired on, on them, essentially. Um, I heard about it on Hacker News around the day that it was sort of, um, I don't know, people kind of noticed. Um, I think the interesting thing from my perspective is I was aware that it was going on, yet. I was unaffected on any of my devices, um, whereas Christoph was, which vaguely makes sense again, um, but also we are running, uh, I don't know, very similar environments, I suppose, from the, the, the context of the developer edition for both of us and... Um, yeah, uh, even on the mobile level, I think his he was mainly affected on the the, the uh, desktop side of things. Um, they were able to resolve it pretty rapidly. It seemed like um, hot fixes of sorts pushed out by the uh, the Firefox team. Um, so I didn't personally experience any of the issue firsthand. Just more of a Christoph mentioned it to me and was wondering if I knew what was going on. Um, how long were you out of, uh, I don't know, how long were the extensions disabled for you exactly? I said about half a day, probably. I mean, like, it was indeterministic as yeah. to when it began, but I probably booted up my browser around uh, 10, maybe 11 a.m., and okay. then they were probably back around 4 to 6 p.m. So, yeah, just like a little bit, not anything too crazy, but... Yeah, it seemed like it was... Ex it, people, like, noticed that it was going to happen or that it was happening, like, sometime on, like, May 3rd. Interesting. And I think the problem, like, actually was starting like, around May 4th. There was, like, some time zone weirdness, and then whenever the actual date for the certificate expiring was... Um, not again not like super breaking breaking just very inconvenient and people didn't seem to be very necessarily happy with how mozilla handled it in terms of being i don't know forthcoming or doing like any real i haven't seen any like major post-mortem as opposed to why it happened because sure. i don't know if you can really do anything like that um it's not like a security breach or anything where like they got i don't know infiltrated by some third-party attacker it was just like there was a lapse within however they managed the large, not even large infrastructure, just like, it's just stuff that has to happen. It's sort of routine. It's like a, it's like a chore effectively, you know, making sure to gets, gets renewed before it becomes a problem for users. I mean, that it's effectively just something that has to happen like as a calendar reminder. I mean, it's, I would suspect they can't fully automate the process, but at least have like, you know, people aware of, when these are coming and periodically let them know that it has to be done. Um, I th I guess the main weird thing that I was mentioning to the old listeners while you were briefly gone was just how I was unaffected by it, seemingly, even though I knew it was a possibility, and how you were only unaffected on one of your devices um, for 
a I don't know was just a, a chunk of time it was very weird the yeah. way that they like pushed out the hot fix was probably like you know it, it couldn't happen to everybody at once it was distributed somehow but yeah yeah if we want we could just get into kind of um a more serious topic and kind of cover some something for a little bit of a series that we're going to start doing here kind of going over getting started in web development essentially some good it's more like you want to make a website yeah here's some high level overview very of very high level yeah not like here's the steps you should do like go do a coding camp which probably don't or like whatever like here's some guides to like learn html and so on and so forth i will i will entrust that to you maybe later we can cover some stuff uh, that would be like good use resources. I would say avoid W3 schools, even though I know that's how a lot of people get their feet wet initially. But even, I think Code Academy, I would say I could recommend off the top of my head is something that, that isn't horrible and it's free. I've used them oh, I th- when I was like first starting. I definitely referenced them before. I'm not sure how they've progressed over the years. They're still around. They seem to be adding content that seems to be keeping up with like you know the relatively modern yeah technology sort of where everything's at in yeah terms of what people are learning or want to know so i suspect it's not a bad idea and but i assume they still have a nice free tier sure i really can't comment it's been a while now yeah so i don't know we'll leave that to you but then kind of what is happening in this one part one of making a website it's really going to be about um, very high-level steps, the whole kind of stack to 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 do when creating a website. Yeah, and then, from the inception to yes. the like creation process to making it live to the whole world. Right. So that'll be that'll be episode one, very much so overview level, and then episode two will kind of start walking through those steps with a little bit more depth. But um, basically, it kind of begins at like knowing what you want, like what's the website for, who's the audience, and so on. And in our case, we'll actually just be using um, my website as a as a example, um, where like it's a personal website. Um, this one, and specifically, will be my like professional portfolio website. So, would you link to it on your resume? Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, exactly. Okay, like, gotcha. I would have yeah. it on my resume. I would have it on business cards. Like it's very much so oriented to the professional public. I'm looking yeah, for a sense. job yeah. or I'm talking to an employer of some kind or I'm doing freelance work even and I need them to to look at things that I've done, projects I've worked on and uh, a perfect example of my experience uh, just with my website itself along with everything else that it covers. Um, So that's my plan, but like I also have a plan to do a blog, a food blog on a different domain, like a different thing so they're not not, uh, overlapping. Um, But like who knows, you could be doing a website for your business. You could be doing a website for, you know, an event or just whatever, an organization. Yeah, I think the Um, main thing is just, like, the content that you need to have visible. Who's going to be looking at it? Yes. Um, Just, like, demographic stuff vaguely and then, like, just so you can know. (laughs) 
uh, like browser support is a pretty big one for at least the front end side of things. Sure. So knowing if your audience is going to be like using something up to date and modern where you can use, you know, the latest and greatest, or if you might have to cater to those who are just skirting along on, yeah, you know, a decade old software yeah. Yeah, where you have to at least make it uh, not the same experience, but an equivalent one where they can still, you one know, that there's fallback at a minimum. Right. Fallback. Right. Um, so I think, like, with that in mind, like, kind of figuring out what you want, who's it for, what are you going to use it for, you can kind of start to design something then. A uh, very common term, um, I would say the term to be used is wireframing. Uh, your website, which can be done, there's software for it, you can do it kind of just old pen and paper. Um, I would do it more than just in your head kind of thing. Like, right, it's nice know, to have what, something visual yeah right yeah. you know what you want but now you got to figure out how to lay that out right it's just like designing a poster or designing a slide deck or whatever have you the whole point is how do i lay out this information so it's easy for my user to understand and navigate so there are, there are a couple uh apps i think adobe suite has indesign which is very popular for no it's not indesign it's what is XD, the, I think. I don't know. For mock-ups vaguely. Maybe. What's the one that you've used from the Adobe Suite for mock-ups? The only one that I've, like, I haven't made anything with it, but I've consumed stuff would have been through, I think it's XD, Adobe XD, I think. Sure. And that's more of a, that's definitely a mock-up. That's not a wireframe because they'll have flow and, that's like, fair. more of an actual asset. But, like, sure. vaguely... Um, a, a wireframe is strictly speaking um boxes boxes text. not in specific colors just determining the layout where things are yeah. maybe across different screen sizes because the content needs to adapt accordingly and a mock-up would be more of a high fidelity is what people i guess a refer prototype. to it as um sure. like you know maybe like the actual color palette with actual visuals fonts that are going to be used something that whoever is implementing it, i.e. yourself, would be using to reference when they start making it um, using code. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I definitely err either on the side of, like, just scribble something down on some pen and paper to get it at least most of the way there, hash it out at least out loud. I have for assignments and, you know, maybe during the workplace, uh, used some digital tools to do it. Um, just because maybe like sharing as a PDF is slightly more convenient. Um, but I think the important thing is just like less about, well, what software should I use or what, even if I'm using a software, how should I do it? I mean, just the more thing is just like, just do it, just make it happen. Um, Cause that's made way more valuable than like, you know, spending time looking at like a uh, core question on like, eh, which is the best software to use in 2019. You oh, know? definitely. Um, Use whatever works. Right, yeah. I mean, you can use paint straight up or, like, again, just draw it out. Yeah, no, it's worked pretty well. It's very iterative. Like, again, the idea is just the wireframe is what it sounds like. In animation, they do this, or three-dimensional animation. Like, wireframes are just just points that are connected with wires to get the general idea of, like, a, a character or a, or a shape or something, but it has no texture or color or orientation or whatever, like wireframing a website is just like draw a box that's your header image draw a box below it that's your text box ish or a text area a thing draw a box next to it that's the image you want or, or something but it, it's not it does not need to be complicated so 
I know some of the uh, tools out there that are free to use TM kind of thing. You have wireframe.cc is one that you use. They have a like a free tier that works well enough. Right. Um, I've used it. I used the trial at one point in time because I needed to do it for. I think it was an assignment. I needed to print it off. Um, export as a PDF or whatever, and that worked well enough for that. Um, I've also used a another piece of software called Figma, which I would say is you could definitely make some wireframes out of it, but it's a much closer to a mock-up kind of piece of software, yeah. which means you can also sort of sort of the flow of a process attach multiple screens together as users interact like if you click a button this happens you can do like i think you can do animations stuff that gets it closer to a mock-up the the name verbatim there of the final product something that comes after the initial wireframes uh ones i'm familiar with from the industry i think people use sketch and up for like more mock-up type stuff uh balsamic and i think there's also one called mock-up spelled cleverly are also for wireframey type things. Um, personally, I, we've definitely used just the either pen and paper or on a whiteboard before. We've we've been there before, just yeah. doing wireframes like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just usually sketch it out on a whiteboard. I usually try to do pen and paper, so then I can kind of hold on to them uh, and so on. Uh, but really, not not a not a lot that needs to be involved in kind of wireframing. It's just very basic. Just kind of get it down. But that's the idea. Design something. You can start adding more stuff to make a higher fidelity in your design. Absolutely. That's important. Um, but then it's not something you need to get hung up on right away. So I'd say after that, these next couple steps can kind of be done in whatever, not whatever order, but... The next step might be playing around with local development, probably, would be a more appropriate Just one. Just start building something, yeah. Yeah, build something. Like, move fast and break things, you right. know? Right, sure, sure, right. Play around with, like, trying to build your wireframe on your local machine. Um, when we get to that episode, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about um, what that means, software that you'll need to, to do that, depending on what operating system you're running. Uh, Unix system versus like a Windows machine or whatever, but that's basically going to be you, a text editor of some kind, something to run a server locally on your machine, uh, LAMP or WAMP stack is usually what they're called, and then uh, kind of just hacking it away and getting there. And the number one thing that I would recommend doing is use freaking Git. Use Git. G-I-T, Git. GitHub is probably one of the most popular ones for, for, for professionals and amateurs alike. Um, there are a lot of other ones that are out there. Uh, GitLab uh, exists. GitLab and Bitbucket are the two main Bitbucket are the other ones, yeah. but I think Bitbucket's paid. GitLab might be free. Uh, Everybody has a free tier. Okay, sure. But the idea is like using Git, regardless of what platform you use Git on, gives you version history. So if you have something amazing uh, and you break it, you can roll back without worry. And you're not saving 13 copies of it and be like, uh, copy of my website number one through copy of my website number 99. 
and then you forget which one is which. Whatever, Git just really helps. Git in all software creation is, is more or less mandatory in the modern environment because it's just such a quintessential tool on avoiding breaking things that can't be fixed. It's really and then collaborating with anybody else. Definitely, too. A big thing. It, yeah. There's so much functionality that it adds, and if you're looking to do this professionally in any capacity, uh, definitely going to need to know it to to do anything realistic in the industry. So then now you've you've done a wireframe. You maybe even developed a kind of high fidelity design, and you've built that design kind of offline on your machine. Um, and you tried to take into account when you're building that different devices, mobile, computers, uh, whatever, even maybe tablets, which probably would fall under the between mobile and between desktop kind of experiences. Um, if you're using like a, a MacBook Air, keep in mind that your uh, screen resolution is smaller than someone else that might be on a device with 1080 or whatever uh there's a lot at play there but we definitely will be covering a lot more of that in depth during that episode um so after that you've built something now you buy a domain um so buying a domain doesn't mean anything other than that you own you're leasing something you're yeah well, yeah right you're leasing something dot something so like facebook.com that's being leased by Facebook or my personal website is a .io because it's very trendy and cutesy for for you know business or software business professionals to have .io websites because it stands for input output but not in the domain sense because it's a country code and it starts getting weird so if you've seen links before it's like biz dot or like dot biz or dot co dot com dot org dot net dot co dot uk dot au dot ca and stuff like that the dot au dot ca dot co dot uk are all country codes for um tlds which are top level domains um and so then these top level domains are are kind of a weird concept that I'm Paul seems queued up to talk about. Um, so like .org, you have to be an organization. .net is like vaguely a network. Anyone can have a .com. And then they're just like, they start getting obscene. Like there's like .photography and like .business completely spelled out. Yeah. .store, .xxx, just dot, like there's just crap all out there. Um, so I don't know. You have public suffix down here. Are you gonna answer some unanswered questions, or do you think should we talk about uh, where to get these domains first? No, I, I go over it briefly, and then you can pick up sure. um, good registrars to choose from. For sure. Um, yeah, I, as you mentioned, there's some. Sometimes there's restrictions for who can own certain domains. In general, it's usually pretty open. Um, sometimes certain domains will require you to at least have an affiliation with that country um certain european ones that i've seen that before or other ones maybe might you have you required to have a translation of the content in the language of that specific country other times uh, it'll be required that your content is served via https um the dot app and dot dev 
TLDs come to mind for that one. Um, and as Christoph mentioned, this uh, public suffix list, that is publicsuffix.org, is this uh, pretty interesting website I found out when I was um, doing that, that Acme software for getting HTTPS certificates. Um, it if so the public suffix is the TLD plus anything else. And what do I mean by that is so.co.uk, .uk would be the TLD, that is the top level. And .co would be, I think they call it the second level part. Um, so like combined together, it's co.uk. And there's also other reserved ones. So like I own a .af domain, my blog is on a .af. So .af has an entirety, the top level part is reserved, that is a domain extension, top level domain. Also, there's specific ones uh, like gov.af, and I think nic.af, because those are reserved for like a government usage, or nic is the one that you see um, for like registrars, stuff that's reserved that cannot be. Um, so the public suffix list serves two purposes. It like documents effectively what can be domains, um, which is important for at least the case of that, that Acme software determining if a domain is valid because they were verbatim checking against that list to see if the thing was legit or not. Um, and almost kind of, it's kind of sad that I've gone this long without knowing that that was a thing because it was insanely useful and I'd <laughs> never heard of it before. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's just, a, it's handy to know about. What domains, who do you have yours registered on? Are they all name cheap? Yeah, I have, yeah, so we can just jump right into yeah, that makes some sense. registrars. So, like, places to buy a domain, there's some great ones. Uh, Gandhi, G-A-N-D-I, um, is a really good one. Uh, Namecheap. Uh, Christoph and I both, at least I both, use both of those, and you have some on Namecheap. They're yeah, both good. Mine yeah, mine just were all under Namecheap because they were running the promo for the .me, mm-hmm. and then I was just there, and I could just add all the rest of them to my cart, and I think at the time I looked at the price and they were exactly the same as they were on Gandhi. Um, so I just did it to keep it kind of all under one and that's easy. I think I own about, I think mine has recently ballooned and I think I own probably about eight domains now. Ooh. A lot of them unused. Um, some I I'm think they're exclusively unused, am I right? Well, yeah, you're not <laughs> necessarily wrong, but some that yeah. are unused with no plan on ever being used. Ah. Um, they were just scooped up for the sake of exclusivity to, to ensure that they could um, be mine, more or less, before anyone else would. Not that they were particularly hot domains, but they were hot enough or potentially able to be picked up by anyone else. So I just kind of wanted to secure my standing with them. Yeah, I've got a couple. There's one in particular that I know I'm going to let lapse. <laughs> Um, that I just don't really have a use for. Oh, no. Um, that's okay. Then I have four that are around my name, which is pretty awesome. Um, I've got two .ios, a .me, and a .dev. Um, so the .me is probably going to be the blog kind of one. One of the .ios is definitely going to be a professional one, and the other probably, before I find anything else to do with it, it's probably just going to be a redirect to the other one. And then the um, dev one, probably same deal. Probably just have it as a, a redirect to all kind of one um, domain. So 
but maintain the other two in case I want to split off and do some other kind of developer-y things or have stuff hosted on there that are more than just a personal blog level stuff but not quite the professional stuff and um, I don't know yeah but beyond Gandhi and Namecheap like Cloudflare just started uh, doing I think like last six months or so yeah I mean I would consider that in the scheme of this just started yeah for sure definitely um you can purchase domains through cloudflare which is like interesting at registrar kind of it's cloudflare.com slash registrar should take you there you can even transfer oh my goodness at cross pricing for registration and renewal they're really making it look really nice uh 2fa who is management support for hundreds of tlds Registrar locking, developer-friendly API. I don't know even what that would mean in the sense of registrars. Bulk domain transfers. This is not an ad. I'm just very sleepily reading their webpage that has all their shit on it. But hey, Cloudflare, if you want to sponsor us, go right flipping ahead. Uh, Google Domains exists, I guess. I have zero experience with that product in general, but it is something. You also have down on here Hover. I've never even heard of it. Oof. Sure, it's great. But I think the main thing that stands out for me is, um, I, a, I've heard the sponsor lots of podcasts, so maybe in the future. Sure. It, uh, that was super meta, though, but they offer a, uh, they call it a valet service. So just a team member of theirs looks at your particular situation and helps you migrate oh, wow. the domain. So, right, you get the, so sure, valet is like concierge. Right, and it's they've a, got the very free of charge personal. service. Wow, yeah. sure. So I mean, a lot of the big one, a lot of the big registrars will make it a pretty automated, pretty walk you through, hold your hands process to transfer a domain. Um, but I'd say Hover does go a bit beyond um, in terms. Yeah. Of, I think it's the only one that I know of personally that offers that valet service, which can be particularly valuable, um, especially for. You know, if you have a domain that also has like a website and email and stuff that you want to make sure stays up 100% is important. Right. Um, especially in like, you know, mission critical or business applications where, you know, like it's a business and like that email does really matter. The website traffic does really matter. Sure. You know, they're making, I mean, even they're on making a, profit. Yeah. yeah. Even on a personal level, uh, I'm handing out my business card. I don't want that website to be. Right. I don't want someone a week after I give them my business card to be like, oh, fine, I'll finally check this out and then just have it be dead. That would suck. Definitely. Um, no but, bueno. So, yeah, anyway, that was a really long kind of tangent on just like domains and what they are in general. Um, but so now you've figured out what you want your website to be and who it's for, what it's for. You've designed something, you've created a high fidelity design, you've built that thing more or less how it's gonna be uh, when it goes live, you've bought the domain, now you need somewhere to host it. Um, so the domain doesn't give you a place to host it, the domain just lets you point at the thing that you're hosting it on. So you'll more than likely buy either a server space somewhere using a service and uh, use that to host your domains. Some popular ones are um, like you can get a droplet through I'm suddenly blanking. DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean. And the droplet is just the concept of a right. virtual private server. Yes. Just in some data center somewhere they partition some chunk of some 
server space vaguely that there's an gives actual, you access to. Yeah, there's an actual rack with like two bajillion cores and fucking I mean, yeah, nine it's all, it's terabytes of memory yeah. and right, yeah. something obscene and then they just have software running that says you get this tiny little piece of that but that's all yours and that can't talk or be talked to by anything else that exists here it's just the idea of a vm it used to be such the case that you would actually rent a physical rack or rack space and that had its own issues certainly you there was some flexibility to that sometimes it's interesting i never thought about rack space the company's name like that before no but it literally is though yeah i never thought about it though that's interesting um but uh anyway like now pretty much everything is done through vms digital ocean is a very popular one that has like really good pricing um there are a bunch of other options that do the same thing tm but there aren't that's not the only way that you yeah like need to host it uh github offers github pages which is great for anything that static and by static would mean nothing that is server side that would be executed by the server so that'd be python php ruby node.js stuff like that as a non-exclude that is a non-exhaustive list however that covers a lot of the the big ones yeah um i think that's an excellent option that pairs really well if you are using one of the Git providers, GitLab also has a similar service. Um, the three that I usually recommend for people are static stuff, GitHub pages, because hopefully you're already on version control. For sure. Um, DigitalOcean, if you need a bit more customization or you want to, you know, it's a pretty reasonable flat rate per month for renting out the, um, the virtual server uh, and allows you to, I, I guess, I suppose, build the skills necessary to set up something like that. Lots of great documentation on their website, but does require some you know manual work on your part um and then there's a company called nearly free speech that's nearly freespeech.net um that is a very cheap um they subscribe to the pay for what you use um sort of pricing model um that i would say is pretty friendly for anybody who is maybe doing it for the first time um you could definitely spend something pretty low like I don't know, like twenty dollars a year for a pretty low traffic site. Yeah. Um, and still have the ability great. to run stuff that would be on the server side. I've, I know they'd support PHP offhand, and beyond that, I'm sure there's other stuff too. So those three are usually the ones that I at least toss people links to, or mention offhand when people ask me this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm just realizing here. One of my friends asked me stuff like this. I'm just gonna shoot him a link. Perfect. To yeah. the whatever the timestamp is in this podcast. Yeah, I mean we're shout out to Warren if you're watching this, listening to this. You Damn keep it. saying watching. I know, man. It's terrible. You know, it's a word pictures watching. I don't even know what sentence you said, but yeah. <laughs> fortunately, the timestamp for this is gonna be probably about like hour, maybe hour fifteen. We gotta cut some stuff out mm. that was on early, but like yeah, probably from the hour mark on. We've probably started talking about making a website, so Warren, hopefully you got a half hour on your hands so you can kind of listen through this. But then after, you know, you've got pretty much everything at this point. You, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep repeating this to kind of just show how kind of easy on a very high level it is for to go from start to finish. Um, obviously, there's a metric shitload of work in between, but like on a high, high, high level, of things it's like you know what you want who are you going to make the website for what is it for that's great 
you've designed something super basic, a wireframe, you've maybe uh, created a high fidelity, and then you started programming and actually building the website offline to begin with. Maybe you just built the wireframe and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to make a high fidelity design and then I'm going to implement that whatever order that kind of pairing comes in. Um, but definitely wireframe first, building second, but then high fidelity can come before or after, just depending on how experienced you are or how overwhelming you're feeling. Um, and then after you've built it and it's pretty much set to just go out into the world on your machine, you buy a domain from a registrar and then you've got your domain set up. It's semantical, it makes sense. You have a TLD that, that also makes sense, .com.org.net, whatever, or any other specialty ones. Um, then you get a, a server of some kind or a way to host the web page in some way, whether that be DigitalOcean or GitHub Pages or free speech and so on. And then now you're pretty much at the point where you deploy, you deploy your code, you actually put everything that you've built offline onto this hosting service. Yep, your domain gets pointed there and then it's it's live in the sense you yeah. flip that switch. Yeah. Right, and then it's, yeah, you get to go live and you send out that link and then people will see it and it's pretty awesome. It's, it's pretty cool how pretty accessible getting your own little chunk of the internet is these days yeah i think that's probably 100%. one of the, the coolest things about them i don't but know i think where we're at yeah definitely the decentralization of the need to be in a position where you're either obtaining a higher education degree or you are part of an industry or whatever or, or just any of it like your grandmother your little sibling your parent yourself small business owner anyone at this point that has just time to put into learning um, because there's plenty plenty an overwhelming amount of free resources that will will provide you with all of this knowledge with with a more than adequate amount um, and a lot of that we're, we'll cover ourselves, um, but a lot it just allows you to to participate in the digital age in a way that I don't know. Just yeah, it hasn't been seen before. Yeah, I feel like it's like the s the second bubble to the dot com boom, where like there was the initial just like oh this is new and stuff. Yeah. And now this has been around for a while, but like there's that second boom of like. At least in the front end world, very rapid movement for I don't know technology improvements. Lots of new stuff going on, ever changing. I and mean, then like all the new TLDs that got added, it was pretty interesting to see just a bunch of ones that like over the past ten years or so have really uh, cropped up. Even the past um, two years. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they're always coupling out. Um, and I think I don't know, just to maybe slightly reiterate what you said, just even having like your personal brand TM is pretty valuable to have. So I think it's the idea that it's everybody should at least have some sort of slice of the internet is pretty, I don't know, a point that I'm trying to get across here. Yeah, and definitely. It's as complicated or as simple as you want it to make it be. For sure. Um, and there's services out there that will help you do either of those two things. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a lot of resources out there. And just It can make your life a lot easier. 
so i think with that uh, we can pretty much wrap the episode uh yeah the next coming episodes are basically going to be diving into this series a little bit more right um i'm sure as we're building out your website yep as we're building out uh, my professional portfolio and maybe the blog i'm sure i'll have some stuff to throw in there at points in time definitely yeah um for sure and then i think from that we can begin talking about another series that we kind of have planned uh freelancing kind of sure so yeah. you've built out your professional It'll website go hand in hand Just, it will yeah, right definitely stuff, yeah. so right it's kind of like a it's a very v- extremely rudimentary from two amateurs or one extreme amateur to another kind of mm, experienced but youngish kind of into the general scheme of things individual um to like you got some free time and you want to make some money in the digital age like build a website and then hey you got that skill build a website for somebody else and then have them pay you um so kind of how those things interplay freelance web development uh, and so on and then how to how to start handling um freelance web development after you kind of get your feet wet building your own website maybe some other fun projects on your own um but yeah, that'll be a coming series after the, the build your own website, which will kind of walk through everything that you're going to need to do. Definitely some super nitty gritty ones, probably definitely more toward the end. There'll be like, I think we'll probably just jump over the wireframe kind of thing. We'll talk about how it worked and, and, and whatever when we're going through it. But then the coding sure. will be, well, a little more in depth, but for at, for at least for my sake, um, we'll be really kind of getting into the nitty gritty into like server configuration and like making sure stuff works kind of at a very um, detailed level when you kind of get to deploying and when you kind of where it really fucking matters where you can make it work on your machine. But if it if your server is just, I don't know, configured like crap or not at all or whatever it may be, it can become challenging. So, yeah, we're going to cover that and then have the follow up series. So I think time frame wise, are you thinking getting that stuff done before you move out? Definitely. Okay. For sure. All right. Sounds good. And then I think so. The follow up for the the listeners here, it's gonna be probably (laughs) janky for you, but we'll try and partition the episodes out as best as possible. I don't think we're gonna be recording after this next chunk of time to probably July at the earliest. I'd say hopefully by August yeah, for sure. Probably. Um, I think that's a realistic time frame. Definitely, because I'm going to be, yeah. I'm You'll be, be moving. I'll be moving. Right. We'll be getting settled in and then just finding a time to make our schedules align. Yeah, for sure. And July. Was, yeah, yeah. Well, like, I think after this episode and this week, because basically this episode is going to go live, I would assume, this Sunday. Yeah, probably. But we're probably going to end up recording, like, two to three more episodes Right, and that'll make maybe pre out every two or three weeks to yeah. try and at least every other for the viewers right get, you know lit, god man damn the it, viewers fucking, man you know can we just do a you know either like a like a pound to find or the old them no you know, find it in place no. the, it doesn't the, the the meme doesn't work as well when it's audio you know you can't just type the text and be like you know replace all of viewer or listener you know what i mean <laughs> you're just making a face over yeah. there yeah that's oh, pretty god. brutal yeah i think think with that we can kind of conclude here so take care we'll uh catch you in the next episode farewell everybody farewell